Y'all, it is finally warm. Some might say too warm here in New York City, and we are ready and excited to get outside. In fact, two weeks ago, pretty much the entire staff of Popular Mechanics went up to our boss's house in Westchester to shoot some home renovation photos we could use for future articles. We spent all day outside working on projects, then had some beers and played touch football. It was actually pretty fun. So on this episode, we thought we'd call in a bunch of folks on staff, as well as our home editor, Roy Berenson, who y'all probably know is that guy who knows everything about everything, to talk about the tricks we learned. Also on this episode, we go over the Popular Mechanics Guide to Camping with authors Matt Allen and Eleanor Hildebrandt. We give you a behind-the-scenes look at the making of this summer's blockbusters, and tech editor Alex George tests out some new technology that will make you want to head outside. For now, here's a quick tip that didn't fit in our camping package for people who like to cook in the woods. If you have spices, spice mixes, or even salt you need to take with you to cook, pack it in empty Tic Tac boxes, which you can stack and strap together with a rubber band. I'm your host, Jacqueline Detweiler, and you're listening to the most useful podcast ever. Matt Allen is back in our office today, straight from the 19th floor, and Eleanor is here also. Straight from the 21st floor. Straight from right at your desk right outside. <laughs> I watched in a straight line over here. <laughs> yeah, so both of you worked on our How to Camp in 2018 right. package, mm-hmm. which yeah. came out in our most recent issue, and it has a lot of really fun stuff. I'm a recent convert to camping. Mm-hmm. My mom hated it, so we did not go camping when I was a kid. <laughs> she still thinks I'm crazy for going camping now, but I kind of like it, and I know not that much about it. So yeah. I thought this was a really cool package. Yeah, well, the great thing is there's so many ways to camp. A lot of people think it's just sitting in a sweaty tent while you get rained on in, in a park, and it can be that. Sometimes it can be it's that. that. Yeah, yeah, sometimes it is. But mm-hmm. we highlight so many different ways and places to camp. Starting with just like private campsites are sort of the biggest thing that have come up in the last few years. You've probably heard of Tenter and Hemp Camp, and then in Europe there's one called Gamping. Wait, Tenter? How do you spell that? Tent, R-R. R-R, okay. Yeah. You never know. It's a very startup name. So Tenter's cool, though, because there's already a tent there, and it's a nice tent. Nobody wants to use the term glamping, but that's basically what it is. So you get a big canvas tent set up on a platform, a fire ring, uh, there's a couple beds. So it's sort of like you just drive out to the site, and everything's there for you. And then oh. there's like extra add-ons, stuff like the host raises chickens and stuff like that. You can buy a dozen eggs. And then also, like a lot of services, like there's local excursions and things like that you can get into. Okay, so it's like oh. Airbnb for like nature yeah. experiences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds like the kind of that I could convince people to accompany yeah. me on. Uh-huh. So it's a uh, softer entry into camping. All the sites, by the way, are pretty big. They're all like nine acres. That's, that's roughly nine football oh, fields. Oh, that's so, yeah, so you get a lot of space. Costs roughly about $100 a night. But that's split a few ways, and everybody has a nice time at the lake. Yeah, that's totally. Mm-hmm. And then Hip Camp has some established campsites or structures, but for the most part, it's just like a nice plot of land, like okay. next to a river, near the ocean, that sort of thing. Also a cool way oh, that to sounds great. camp yeah. near a national park that maybe you couldn't get into. So, you know, same scenery and that sort of stuff. And so Hip Camp is the largest of all these services with about uh, 40,000 sites. Oh, wow. That's mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah, and then gamping is 10,000. It's a lot more uh, stripped down in nature. It's for people that are looking for a yard to park their RV in, and it has some basic services. So that's usually just like 10 to $15 per person a night. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. And yeah, nice. big in Europe. And what did you do for this package, Eleanor? So I looked into packing food, specifically for a backpacking trip. So when you're carrying all your food with you on your back. Right, which is tough. Yeah, and I started thinking about this because, so I grew up camping a lot with my family. I mean, we do car camping a lot, but then I did a couple backpacking trips with my dad. My dad loves being outdoors and he loves food, but he's also very, very strong. So I never really like realized how much stuff we were hauling along with us. And then when I started camping by myself, I was like, 
This is a lot like, to carry. Cast iron. Dad, really? You were carrying <laughs> yeah. a cast iron pan? Exactly. So I started looking into lightweight foods that you can bring along with you. So there are some really good dehydrated foods that companies already have. We looked at Good To Go, Backpackers Pantry, and then Patagonia actually recently launched their own. It's called Patagonia Provisions, and it's like dehydrated soup mixes and stuff like that. Okay. So those are a little pricier. If you're going on a longer journey, then it'll definitely add up because it's usually like in the 6 to $8 price point for a meal. But they're definitely tasty and they're easy because all you have to do is boil some water or in some cases not boil water and then just pour it into the pouch and it, it'll rehydrate. Oh, great. You can also make your own foods, which is more of an endeavor because you have to, you know, cook it ahead of time and get a dehydrator and figure out how to use it. And I also talked to an REI instructor who works out of Atlanta and helps train people before they do longer, like through hiking journeys, which is when you're hiking for a really long time, carrying all your food, probably restocking every four or five days. Right. Doing like the Appalachian Trail exactly. or something. Okay. Yeah. That was a rule of thumb he gave me. You don't want to be carrying more than four to five days worth of food at a time because at that point it gets so heavy that you're expending too many calories carrying around. That right. It's not weight. worth the calories exactly. of carrying it. Wow. Yeah. So he's had four to five days of food at a time. Definitely try to maximize as much fat as you can get out of those foods. So things like olive oil, cheese, sausage, those are all really good to carry along. And if you are doing those longer hikes where you have to restock, a lot of places, especially on the West Coast, you can actually mail food to yourself ahead of time, like at gas stations or post offices. Okay. And they'll hold it for you until you hike your way up and can pick up the food. Nice. So what else did you do for the package, uh, map? I mentioned there's a lot of ways to camp. And so beyond just like getting a private campsite, there's sort of variations on backpacking that are really cool. I have a lot of friends that are getting into bikepacking right now. Are these all like portmanteaus? Is that like the thing about camping? They just, it's like bikepacking and glamping and... Pack rafting. Pat C. C. We'll get to that one in a second. Uh, Bikepacking <laughs> is uh, using a bike that can go on dirt roads and stuff to sort of explore. You cover a lot more ground than you can on foot. And so uh-huh. you're using just like the millions of miles of unpaved roads in America. There's, I think, about a third of all roads are actually unpaved. So this way you can go like 30, 40 miles in a day and you're carrying usually like a pretty lightweight setup on and around your bike. Okay. That's awesome. What are the other ones? So I mentioned pack rafting. Uh-huh. The idea there is that you're turning lakes and streams, rivers into trails. So a basic version is you would hike into the woods and then take a river out. That's sort of like a good starter trip. Okay. But in areas that just don't have a lot of trails but do have a lot of water, it just opens up massive amounts of land that you could never otherwise touch. I mean, for the more, like, skilled kayakers, they'll get whitewater versions, and so they can hike in to kayak rivers that aren't accessible by roads. Ooh, that's a cool idea. Mm-hmm. And then the last sort of alternative to backpacking, well, the easiest on your body, that's for sure, it's a truck camping. And so <laughs> it sort of just takes the same DIY spirit of backpacking and that you're converting the back of your pickup truck into just like a mini minimalist RV. But the idea is basically just you can drive out anywhere on national lands like a BLM stuff, park and have a campsite. This sounds awesome, but I'm sad that it's not a portmanteau. Like I want it to be like truck ping. Van tramping. Van ping. <laughs> it's not a van though. No, no. It, it, could, it, it could be a van. <laughs> That's true. Well, this all sounds very good. Happy van ping. <laughs> So in our most recent issue of the magazine, the July-August issue, Peter Martin headed up our summer blockbusters package. What is it about? Like it's about summer blockbusters? No, it was like how they do things in summer blockbusters? <laughs> yeah, we called it blockbuster secrets. Oh. It was just, we found some of the cooler scenes and some of the cooler effects and then talked to the guys responsible for making it. I mean, are there cool movies coming out? There are so many big franchise movies. Three quarters of the movies this summer are franchises. Biggest one for me, Mamma Mia 2. So get ready for that. <laughs> I think it's in August. Uh-huh. 
That's ABBA, right? Yes. Yes, yeah. right? I didn't see Mamma Mia 1. But yeah, the music is that's ABBA. The, right. Yeah. That's the whole thing about yeah. it. Yeah. I don't know what the movie is about. I Traveling don't either. Pants. Traveling Pants. That's, that's a different those, movie. Those yeah. So the first one we should talk about comes out Friday. Uh-huh. It's Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Okay. That's the one with the sign that says the park is gone. <laughs> Which we're all very concerned yeah, about. I'm concerned about the but park. the dinosaurs are in trouble this time. Oh. That seems nice. <laughs> I feel like I could see the meeting where they're like, okay, okay, guys, what if, <laughs> what if it was the dinosaurs that were going to get screwed up? But who are they in trouble by? Poachers? Well, no. So the real trouble is that there's a big volcanic explosion on the island. And so oh. that is threatening the dinosaurs and the island. Okay. They're going to bring the dinosaurs back to a sanctuary in the United States and then bad guys take over they create a new scary dinosaur they can sell as a weapon right Uh, it's crazy but on the island in that volcanic explosion we talked to i'm gonna say his name terribly but anthony simonitis simonitis let's just say we talked to anthony the pyrotechnics supervisor okay and he talked to us about how when these blobs of lava slam into the ground how they actually make the dirt and dust fly up in the air around it Uh i mean not super surprising there are little charges that they put under the ground but what was cool about it is that they put heavier stuff on top of the charge to sort of muffle that part so that a ring of debris flies out to the side. So the lighter uh, stuff is put around it. They put heavier stuff on top so there's still a little vertical explosion, but more of it is the stuff. The light stuff that goes out. Hits, and so, so wait, all the dust and dirt would fly How do they know it. exactly where the blob of lava is going to hit? Because I mean, it's CGI. Oh, <laughs> so okay. they figure out the blob spots. Somebody blob else spots. adds the blobs later. Gotcha. And then you have a realistic looking lava blob. So that comes out Friday. Okay, cool. What else should we watch this summer? I don't want to promise that you should watch it. <laughs> All right, so the next one, it's a rock movie, which you kind of know when you're going in. And I think you it know doesn't what you're go by into. the rock anymore, but we used it in the headline, so I'm going to double down. Dwayne, Dwayne Johnson. Dwayne Johnson. It's called Skyscraper, and he is a security consultant. He's an FBI agent. Okay. Uh, he's trying to protect the world's tallest building in China, and then a terrorist group sets it on fire, frames him for doing it, and he has to save his family and clear his name. Wow. That sounds like three movies put together. I mean, that's what a rock it's, movie is. <laughs> it's, like, it's like Die Hard and Taken. He's kind of three people put together, so maybe they just figured <laughs> he could handle it. Yeah. But for that one, we talked to one of the guys, Colin Anderson, the camera operator, because there's just a cool scene where the rock, he's stuff you don't think about. He runs down the stairs, sees the bad guys, runs back up the stairs. Camera operator has to follow him. You don't want to get in Dwayne Johnson's way when he turns around. So they built a movable section of the wall. That way they don't have to cut. Cameraman follows Oh, the, follows he like goes into like a weird little like alcove. Yeah, he backs up as Dwayne comes towards him, steps into this wall that pulls in. And then Dwayne goes by, he steps back behind him, and then he can Oh, that's very cool. Him. Yeah, that whole continuous shot thing, how they pull that yeah. off is so cool. So look for the wall in that movie. That is July 12th. Okay. And then I guess if we keep it sort of by date... Okay. Mission Impossible 6. Okay. Which is actually called Mission Impossible Fallout. Tom Cruise, whatever you feel about him for jumping on the couch and doing all the other stuff. Everybody knows he does his own stunts. And that's pretty cool in that general. That is pretty cool. Well, so what impressed me in this, I mean, that's like you're tough if you do your own stunts. Oh, yeah. But the dedication and the time that goes into it. So for the new Mission Impossible movie, he learned how to fly a helicopter. Whoa. And so I don't know how many thousands of hours that you have to have before you actually have your helicopter pilot's license. But Tom Cruise has that. And so he would get practice time by flying a helicopter to set for other movies because we talked to the aerial coordinator, a guy named Mark Wolf, who's worked with Tom on a bunch of movies. So Tom would get in the practice hours just by flying himself to sets for these different movies. But for this one, he has to fly away from a bad guy goes over the edge of a cliff and has to go into a corkscrew dive, which in a helicopter you can imagine because of all the air and the pressure things that are happening with the blades, that's a bad situation. He did that himself? He did that himself. Are you serious? And the crazy thing is their cameras mounted to the thing. He's kind of directing because he is responsible for where the helicopter's pointing. He's acting. 
because he's looking at the cameras and doing these things while he looks over his shoulder for the bad guy. And then he's piloting a helicopter in a corkscrew dive wow. down a cliff. Do you have to be a crazy person to do that? I mean, wow. So he learned how to do this helicopter dive. And they would try to put him in like the prop wash of the helicopter so he would lose control. So all the training that he went through with Mark and these other guys, Airbus's chief helicopter instructor came and worked with him. And so first they had him practice around a track because he's in these tight canyon walls. So the blades are actually 15 to 20 feet away. That's all the clearance he had in this little valley that he's rushing through. But to practice that, they had him go around the track because obviously if you screw up on your turns, you're not going to run into a wall. Right. They had him practice, they call it freewheeling blades when the motor stops. And so they had him practice freewheeling and landing in that sort of thing. So just uh-huh. this, I was impressed. Helicopter piloting is kind of cool. Like it seems it's very cool. Helicopters, it's like they can fly without power. They can do all sorts of craziness. And Tom Cruise can do all of it. And Tom craziness. Cruise can do all of it. So that movie comes out at the end of July. That is July 27th. Cool. And then one more. One more? Okay. <laughs> the weirdest one, The Meg, with Jason Statham, is about a megalodon, just an enormous crazy shark. There's like always a megalodon movie. And maybe there's still one deep in the ocean where Jason Statham goes on research vessels. I mean, there could be. But for this one, you imagine that if you have a shark, you have to have a lot of ocean scenes. And they tried to shoot in New Zealand. We talked to one of the producers, Lorenzo Di Bonaventura. He said they planned it. They had like 10 days there. Every day but one was rainy and gross and they couldn't do it. So they had to build their own fake ocean. Oh, wow. Can you imagine, like, you go for 10 days and they're like, well, that didn't work. Guess we have to (laughs) build a fake ocean now. Oops, sorry. Yeah, he said they picked a time of year when the water was always clear and for two weeks that they were going to shoot, they got one day. Wow. So they did all their research, tried to do it, and then they had one day to do it on the real ocean. So they built two different tanks. One is for deep shots, one's for surface shots. Uh-huh. So it was just kind of cool that they made a fake ocean and had this thing come in. One of the end was like an infinity pool, and then at the back you just throw all the CG into it. Mm-hmm. So that seemed pretty smart. And then there is a trench in the middle of the shallower pool for all the surface scenes, and that let them rig up equipment for stunts. You know, like if a boat gets flipped over when this crazy extinct shark comes up, you can do it here. So it's shallow water. There's a little place for them to stand everything up. Uh-huh. Building a fake ocean seems kind of crazy to me. It does, yeah. That one's August, so you have some time to get ready. Cool. The Megalodon. So now August you know 10th. a bunch of secrets about some of the next four movies that are coming out. So enjoy your summer blockbusters. Go inside. It's nice and cool. Get some popcorn. It's time again for your favorite segment, Pack Facts. Pack Facts. Oh, Pack Facts. What kind of packs are we talking oh, about Oh, there are all kinds of packs. Oh, yeah? I'm really excited for this one. There are are you? Packs? Yeah. Because you like packs? Oh, I just think something that's packed well, it's an art. Oh. Yeah. So if that's any part of this, I'm excited to hear it. <laughs> it is, actually. So I am going on a backpacking trip in hey. two weeks, and I'm very nervous about like packing everything correctly because it's been a while since I've had to like carry everything that I need with myself on my body all day. <laughs> so I've been looking up packing tips. And as it happens, if you're packing a suitcase or like a backpack full of food, the same sort of rules apply to like pack it well. So... The bottom of your suitcase or your backpack, which you won't be, like, using during the day, it should be, like, bulkier gear. Or, like, if you're on an airplane, you know, things like shoes, stuff you won't hopefully have to access, like, during your flight. The middle is for, like, denser and also heavy items. I fly with books a lot because I'm too cheap to, like, ship them across the country. So that's where they should go. If you're backpacking, you're probably not bringing, like, your encyclopedia set. So that would be stuff like a camp stove. Wait, do you have an encyclopedia set? I'm not going to answer that. (laughs) Top zone. 
which is like if you're unzipping your suitcase or like the top of your pack, that's stuff you're going to need on the trail. So like food or if you're flying your laptop charger or something like that. And then outside pockets are just for like all of your gadgets. For me, it would be sunscreen because I will definitely need to be reapplying that all <laughs> yeah. the time. So I thought that was kind of cool that like the same principles could apply, apply. Uh-huh. to both. I'm curious from you guys. Is there a travel or like packing tip that you guys have found useful over the years? So I have two. My first one... Former travel editor here. Yeah, mm-hmm. I have two. My first one is I roll everything, which everyone says. That's like not yeah. that crazy, but I like roll up all my clothes. It makes them much smaller so you can fit more stuff and then they have fewer wrinkles. The other one is I have two little bags. They're like little cloth bags that say wash and wear on them, but you could use any kind of bags. And so you know which underwear you've worn Mm. and which you haven't. Because, you know, if you go on like a long trip, you're putting them in like some weird place. And then you're like, how many of these? I I don't remember. And it's like complicated. (laughs) My mom gave them to me for Christmas. But I was like, I'm not going to use these. And now I'm like, yo, these are awesome. So I don't know if I have a good one for packing something. I mean, I think bringing a laundry bag is crucial, but... This isn't about fitting stuff in a bag, but I always just had like a hard-sided rolly bag that I would take for like weekend trips. And then I got a duffel bag recently. And I'm convinced that assuming they carry the same amount, you should always use the duffel bag if you're flying because they never make you gate check it. I think they just assume you can squeeze it in. And those square bags, I think the companies that made them just started really pushing the TSA limits. And so now I feel like you're almost guaranteed to get gate checked if you use a square rolly bag on the larger end. Never happens if you have a soft-sided bag. Yeah. That's my tip. I actually took one of those on a flight and ended up having to check a bag. So then I had my previous check bag, which was a duffel, and was taking it on the plane. It was one of those like cheap tickets. And I was like, oh, they're going to call me out they're gonna make me check this for a hundred dollars and like i just kind of kept it over my shoulder and they let me through with it when i just went to california i took a normal weekend bag but then i also took a backpacking backpack just because i needed something that was like an intermediate size and they didn't question that and i was able to put it under the seat but it like stuck out a little bit i made sure that it wasn't like stuffed full yeah so that i could at least argue like oh i can just squish it down but they didn't say a single thing it didn't have a frame did it no okay it was a soft one, but it was like, but it was like, like a, but it was, I mean, it was probably, what's normal size, like 55 liters or something? Yeah. Like something you could use for, I think, a week-long backpacking trip mm-hmm. if you really, like, strapped everything to it. They didn't say a thing. Hmm. I feel like you're outsourcing your pack facts. I am. That's, that's part of my plan. <laughs> it's very sneaky. <laughs> backpacks? They're so hot right now. That's actually true, though. So backpack sales that is true. in the U.S. have gone up 11% wow. like, in the last year. I thought this was funny because, like, I don't know if you guys have seen those, like, very, very tiny backpacks that are in style now. Oh, yeah, those it's, were like, huge in the 90s and they're yeah, back now. They're, like, maybe the size of you could fit a cell phone and a wallet in there. So it's basically a purse. Like a grapefruit. Yeah, but with straps attached, which seems silly to me. But anyway, adults are buying all of these backpacks. Adults over 18 are buying almost 70% of the backpacks. Whoa. Wow. Which is 70%. Crazy because you would think that kids going to school are the ones that need the backpacks. Do kids bring backpacks to school anymore? That's true. I guess a lot of schools aren't allowing you to bring in backpacks. And or you have to wear the clear ones. Right. What? I mean, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's like kind of a new thing. And then There's also. There's probably also just less stuff to carry, right? Like, that's the, the kids just, don't have yeah. books as much. That's true. Yeah. Just carry your laptop under your arm. I mean, when I did that story where I embedded in Indianapolis yeah. with a bunch of teenagers, one of them had like a shoulder bag that has laptop in it. So the kids are carrying briefcases and the adults are wearing backpacks. That's is basically t- what you're Everything's saying. crazy. Yeah. So what's the appropriate age to stop wearing a backpack, in your opinion? <laughs> I think it's more about maturity. He's calling you mature, Eleanor. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's what's happening. I think if you're like a graduate student who's going to class and you got stuff to carry, mm-hmm. that's fine. You should maybe carry a shoulder bag. But I don't think there's a hard line. I just think like consider what you're trying to present to the world and then decide if it's appropriate. I'm starting to feel like Kevin was most excited about this episode because he knew it was going to be an opportunity to insult people. No, I didn't even know. <laughs> I didn't even know we were going to talk about that. I thought any insulting I did would be about fanny packs. Is there any fanny pack stuff coming up? No, but 
Because those have sort of come back too, they right? They have. Which I thought was just like a thing that you would see on like fashion blogs. And then an unnamed person in my social circle showed up to a bar one night with a fanny pack. And I was like, I can't believe this is happening right now. <laughs> fanny packs are a thing where even if they're technically like on trend, I don't feel like they're ever going to be cool. No. It's one of those things where it's like, you know how hipsters can wear really ugly glasses, but if they're really cool, they can pull them off? Yeah. That's how I feel about it. Like, I have a friend and has, like, a leather one and is the coolest human. He has a leather fanny pack, and when he wears it, it looks cool. If I wore it, I would look stupid. (laughs) That's how I feel about it. Interesting. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like this has been pack opinions, not (laughs) pack opinions. (laughs) Accurate, though. Yeah. It's true. I think that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's been Pack Facts. Pack Facts. <laughs> so I think it was two weeks ago, we did a Popular Mechanics offsite, which was really fun. We went to our editor-in-chief's house and spent the day... Basically building things and fooling around with... Fixing his yard. Fixing his yard. I know. It's convenient. But no, we actually really did have a good time. We learned a lot of stuff. So we thought we would do a segment. We have Peter and Kevin and Roy here. We figured we'd talk about what we learned at the Popular Mechanics offsite. And then when we don't know what we're talking about, Roy can elaborate. (laughs) I'll try. So we were all on different crews, I feel like. Yeah, I don't think I worked with either of you guys at any point. Yeah. Obviously, I worked with Roy because I needed somebody who knew what they were doing. I but. very briefly worked with Peter. He was hanging out by the fire, and that was pretty fun. It was. It's kind of hot, though. Our fire was terrible. We're having a tough time with the fire. So should we talk about what all we did that day? Yeah. So my group, we tore out a bunch of grass and rocks around a little, like, cabin that I guess our editor-in-chief's wife uses a studio. Which will be in the magazine later this year. Oh, yeah. With maybe so. pictures of me using, what is that called? A rototiller? Yeah, yeah. It was <laughs> called a mantis mini tiller. The advantage of it is that it's small, it's light, you can pick it up, but it's extremely powerful, as you saw. And so we <laughs> took out all the gnarly grass and the rocks and everything, and then once that was all out, used the rototiller, turned it into a little garden, which looked really cute. The rototiller, I had never used anything like that. It was crazy how easy it was to plant the flowers. This was just like planting in baby powder, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, down to like the depth of like eight inches or 10 inches or something. So what did you guys learn? What did you learn, Peter? Were you on the brush clearing crew? Uh, Yeah. Mostly I just learned to stay away from the poison ivy and throw (laughs) the brush in the fire. We did a cool trick for the back of the truck for the, we found two forked limbs, Mm -hmm. put those in first so that the the fork parts were aimed into the back. So the open part of the fork was aimed at the cab of the truck and like the handle part was out at the end. And that way we could throw all the stuff on it. When Ryan took that over to get rid of, he just has to grab the two limbs by the end and then it kind of oh, pulls yank the whole it thing all out, out. instead oh, of like cool. taking 300 loads back out after you've thrown 300 loads in there right and that was you're putting kind of like the wet wood in the truck right right i mean nothing that we found burnt very well because it all just been sitting there for so long but the big gross stuff that just wasn't going to burn that was what we were throwing in the truck to haul away and get right. rid of. We were burning a lot of the stuff there. And there was some wet wood on it, and yeah. it got, like, kind of tough. And then what we kept doing was using dry wood to build kind of, like, a teepee around it and get it going hot just again. smothering it again with something And then eventually and then smothering, smothering it again. Yeah, it was, again. it was a tough gig. Do you have any tips for that if you're trying to burn brush? Well, put it this way. For any fire, you need spark, a lighting source, you need fuel, and you need air. But if you overload the fuel without sufficient oxygen... That's the other part of that burn triangle. It's not going to burn very well. What's what we kept saying is like the problem is we just keep putting stuff on it. Yeah, fuel <laughs> we load. Just stop. Yeah. It was just so frustrating to have the pile get bigger. 
I didn't want to stop throwing stuff on it. Yeah, well, I was going to say, and also the wood was moist. You know, obviously yeah. moisture cools the combustion process and results in smoke, and smoke is unburned fuel. That's important to understand. Oh. So if you really want to burn without pollution or reduce the pollution, you want to convert that fuel, whatever it may be, to heat, look at your fuel load and look at your air supply and adjust accordingly to get a thorough burn, hot burn. You know, once you've got that blazing like inferno, then you can start tossing brush on there. You can dramatically increase that the fuel nice. load. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been nice. Well, so Kevin worked on it's an old trunk that's going to be in the magazine, but you learned how to take a very deep scratch out of what is now going to be a beautiful trunk. Yeah, so I had this old, probably from like the 30s, cedar trunk. Beautiful trunk, by the way, Kevin. I don't know what you paid for it, but it's a very, very high-quality piece of furniture from a company called Lane. I got it in an antique store, and it was not very expensive because the top was really beat up. There was a lot of scratching in places where the finish had chipped off, which was a shellac. So I got to shellac it, which is fun to say that because I never actually get to use that word for what it really means. Shellacking. So Roy taught me how to take that off using denatured alcohol dissolves the shellac. So you sort of rub that on with a cloth. Or we tried steel wool also. Steel wool was actually more effective. Right. What was interesting was that it dissolves the shellac. So you said that in some cases, if the damage was more minor than it turned out to be, you could actually use the denatured alcohol to sort of get the shellac to sort of flow and be a liquid again and then actually just even out the finish without removing it. Correct. It's a nice piece of furniture with this sort of honey-colored tone that had been acquired over years of use. So we didn't want to just take a sander or a paint stripper and just strip the finish off, re-sand it. We wanted to keep some of the character, actually some of the flaws, but we wanted to remove the worst of it and keep the best of it. It was trial and error. You know, we dissolved that shellac with steel wool and denatured alcohol that left most of the finish intact. It removed quite a bit, you know, as a slurry. And then it did leave like a base layer. But then for the really awful scratches, we blended those out carefully with sandpaper. Did you use the wet sandpaper or dry? We used dry. Dry, okay. Actually, thank you, Jackie. That's a good point. You know, a lot of finish work, you're doing that with an abrasive paper that you can use with either water or a cutting fluid, like mineral spirits, for example. So we carefully sanded out the areas of really gross damage while leaving the surrounding finish more or less intact. One thing I learned that I didn't realize is that in places where the scratches were deep and penetrated through the shellac and the wood was exposed, the scratches got dark, which I thought was just because they had gotten dirty over time. But Roy told me that it's actually that when the wood is unprotected over a long period like that, it oxidizes. And so the darkness is actually that the wood has chemically changed. It's not uh-huh. just that, like, it's, it's exposed and it gets dirty. Yeah, uh-huh. so in those cases, it would mean taking off so much wood to get to kind of the nice blonde grain again that we kind of lightened them by sanding off layers. And then started reapplying shellac, which I also learned shellac is pretty tough to apply. It's, it's pretty finicky. You have to kind of keep your brush moving. We were photographing because we were there to do stuff to put in the magazine. And even just stopping the motion of the brush to get a clear photograph for a second or two created very obvious kind of buildup of shellac. So we just did one coat while we were there, and I still need to go back with a very, very fine sandpaper. I think we got 1,200 grit, which is like an automotive-grade sandpaper. Sand it smooth, another layer of shellac wait for that to dry, sand it smooth. So I need to go back and finalize it, but that's because shellac takes definitely a a deft touch to apply well. What is shellac? Yeah, shellac is an ancient, thousands of year old finish made from the excretion of a bug, a beetle. That's my favorite part. It's called a lac bug. Yeah, the lac bug. What? Yeah. Weird. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating stuff. Now, shellac is very tough, and it's very wear-resistant, but it has a crucial defect in that. It doesn't resist alcohol, so if you have a drink, a mug of beer, let's say, and you put it on there, it's going to leave a ring. 
it doesn't resist moisture. It's very abrasive resistant. It is kind of tricky to apply, as Kevin points out. Um, and then after all that, we played football. And it was pretty fun. At the end? I guess. <laughs> For today's testing table, we have both of our sort of tech editors, definitely our real tech editor, Alex George. Ouch, Jeez. <laughs> no, you're our, okay. <laughs> Alex, Alex is our real tech editor, and then Peter was the tech editor at Esquire years ago, and now now you're too Emeritus. fancy to be a tech that editor. What? Emeritus? Tech editor? Tech editor Emeritus. Oh, Emeritus. yeah, there we go. So we wanted to talk because you did a story. It's basically about all the cool digital stuff that will make your summer great. The idea of it was even like Kindles and stuff like that does encourage you to get outside and actually use them or do anything other than just look at them. So I was trying to find stuff that would actually make me kind of get off my ass and go outside and find excuses to be out away from a glowing screen for a little while. Right. Maybe good gifts for kids even who want technology, but who you want to play outside. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So what'd you test? So we narrowed it down to four items. The thing that kind of kicked it off was, you know, Boosted. They make these motorized skateboards. You've probably been seeing them around the city. Yeah. These motorized skateboards, they're awesome. They are reliable. They're uh, really fast and powerful. And they came up with one that's like the size of a regular skateboard. And it just makes it a whole bunch more usable. It's also a lot cheaper. They're usually 1300 bucks. This one's just 750 bucks. Oh, that's not so bad. And you don't have to kick at all. It propels you. Yep. How do you make it propel you? You have a with mind power. No, <laughs> someday you have a hand controller, like a little kind of trigger uh, thing. Okay, flick it with your thumb and then squeeze it like a trigger with your finger. Whoa, yeah, that's futury. Those things. Yeah. Anytime you see someone on it, and they just like look at you and then they're like, <laughs> they zoom away. Yeah. yeah, but they are so much fun. Yeah, the base level one goes like eighteen miles an hour. Next one up goes twenty miles an hour, and then the bigger ones beyond that go even faster. You're gonna wear a helmet, right? You should. Yeah. Okay. Your story said it got. Seven miles, which seems like for skateboarding is plenty. Oh, it's for the so range. far. Yeah, that's the smallest one, too. They have yeah. ones that will go a whole lot further, too. Wow. Yeah. So what else did you try? All right. So the other one that caught my eye was there's a new GoPro that was announced. The thing for me has always been they've always been too expensive. They're usually like 400 bucks or something like that. You can get refurbished for cheaper. But then they just came out with one. It's just called the GoPro Hero, and it's only 200 bucks. I remember I've tested like waterproof iPhone cases and like the new iPhones are waterproof and you could kind of use them out in the water if you wanted to, but if you lose it, you're screwed. You don't want to deal with that. <laughs> but you also want to like strap it to the front of your surfboard. Or right, anything. right. <laughs> it's like, seems There's like some a things that idea. GoPros are just better for. Right. Uh, so the, th- the reason it's that price, you don't get 4K resolution, which you get in the newer ones, but the form factor is the same. Battery life is awesome. They always have deals on them and they're shipping right now with an SD card inside of it. And just having it be 200 bucks was just like, that's kind of this magic price that makes it something that you would actually want to get before you go on a trip. Right. Cool. Every, every time around the office, too, whenever somebody you know, who does our ad sales is like, I'm going on vacation, do you have a GoPro? It's like <laughs> the number one request that I get. So the other one is this thing called an Allo Clip. Uh-huh. I remember when this came out, and what it does is you tack it on the outside of an iPhone, and it gives it either like a wide angle, a macro, like a zoom kind of lens, or this like crazy fisheye effect. So uh-huh. you just put it on, and you can use it with Snapchat or with Instagram or just your regular camera. And even just the wide angle makes everything just look subtly just a whole lot cooler. Like if you're inside of a cool car or something like that and you can show the entire dash, That's that cool. effect is or really Or if you're cool. like a New York City real estate agent and right. you want to make your tiny part. Totally. Like so yes. misleading. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a couple of companies that make these. There's one called Moment that makes a little more expensive and a really nice one. And they just came out with this new one for the iPhone 10. That And know, how much is that? The new one costs 100 bucks, but they have all these, these other little That's packages and everything bucks. that you can do for it. If you dig like phone photography and just like the convenience of an iPhone but want to just be a little bit different, especially for outdoor stuff. It's totally worth it. Cool. The other one is true wireless earbuds, which are basically earbuds that don't have a cable connecting them. 
the Apple AirPods are pretty much the only one I've ever used that actually work, that don't cut out if you put your phone in your back pocket, that actually hold a charge. But Jabra just came with this model called the Elite 65T. You know, it has that whole function where you take one butt out and then it pauses the music. But they create a seal in your ear more so than the AirPods. So they actually work better. And they don't have that little one-inch white peg sticking down from your ear that right. still doesn't look okay. Yeah. All right, so like pulling a projector outside and like showing a movie on a garage wall or something like that is awesome, but generally small projectors. Sound is always terrible. Right, sound is terrible. They don't run for very long and they're usually loud or like they're hard to get just right. This company called Nebula has this one called the Capsule. It's about the size of a soda can. It's like the little mini Cokes. And the coolest thing about it, so it works. Like if you just point it at a wall, it'll do the keystone. The sound is really solid. But the coolest thing is that if it has its own version of Android, so as long as it's connected to Wi-Fi, there's a YouTube app, there's a Netflix app on it, there's an Amazon Prime app. It'll mirror what's on your iPhone if you wanted to do it that way. Or it has an HDMI plug. But it can also just operate on its own. So you can just have it be running Netflix. How do you operate? Do you see through your phone? Use your phone as the remote. And how much is this thing? This one's three fifty. So forever ago on this podcast, Matt Goulet, camper extraordinaire, yeah. talked about watching a horror movie in the woods with a bunch of friends while camping. And I was like, that is great. And That's I terrible. really want to do it. <laughs> yeah, hang up <laughs> a really sheet. I want to do it. Hang up a sheet and watch like a scary movie but along the woods. now you need woods. Wi-Fi. Unless, could you What if you're car your camping and you're not that Yes, far? you can. So you can do HDMI or what I did is do the Netflix download on your phone. Oh, nice. And then you don't have need it, any connection. Right. And then mirror it to the projector. That sounds great. Yeah. Except for the horror movie part. That sounds scary. <laughs> you could also watch a comedy. That's that another option. Like a cartoon. Yeah. I like softer. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> so, Peter, you had a few things that you tried. They were not I just in, want to tack on to this They list. were not in Alex's <laughs> article. Um, but this is only because I started playing golf very badly. And usually golf tech things are pretty lame and not that interesting. They don't really help. And it's like a watch that tells you how far away you are, yeah. which maybe helps if you're really good. But when you're me, it doesn't matter. <laughs> TaylorMade just... The other day released their, they have a spider golf club that a bunch of people have already used, been out for a few years, but now it has a little, it's called the Spider Interactive, and it actually records how far your backstroke is, your forward stroke, the speed you hit the ball, where on the face, the angle of the club, so you can see what you're doing wrong. Oh, that's cool for idea. me is the hardest, because you do something with a coach, you know, take a lesson, that's fine, you kind of learn when someone's staring at you, like you did this wrong, but then you go out and you hit when that guy's not standing behind you, suddenly you can't putt anymore. Right. And then... Cobra just launched a new driver called the F8 that's CNC milled. It's a very markety word for the, it's more forgiving. But I am a terrible slicer. I hit so much. This thing fixed my drive. I was wow. so much better. And it also, to make it pop in mechanics, has an app that'll tell you, you know, if you hit the fairway, if you're off to the left, how far you hit. So yeah, it uses the accelerometers and the, your location to yeah. identify a swing versus not a swing. That's pretty cool. How much do these golf clubs cost? They're both actually $400, oh. which is a lot. Yeah, how much is a golf club normally? That's pretty normal for a good driver. It's a lot for a putter. I think you can get an okay putter for 100 bucks, 200 bucks. Okay. And it also shows you can buy a line of all Cobra clubs with them built in, or you can buy just little Arcos tabs for the handles, so that turns your clubs interactive. Oh, and that's it's great, because it actually tracks how far you hit your 5-iron, how far you hit a wedge or something, and you can then, somebody like me can look at that who has no idea and see, oh, I actually do have some consistency. You can make like a little Excel spreadsheet or something. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks, guys. I think it's time for us to get outside. Let's go. Yeah, let's do it. That's our show, y'all. The Most Useful Podcast Ever is produced by the staff of Popular Mechanics and edited by Brandcasters, Inc. at www.brandcastingu.com. We'd like to thank Sarah Bentley and Andy Bowers from Panoply and Popular Mechanics Editor-in-Chief Ryan D'Agostino. Please subscribe to our show on iTunes. While you're there, leave us a comment. We'd love to know what you think. And if you want to read more about life hacks of all sorts, you should check out our website, popularmechanics.com. 
While you're there, you can subscribe to the print and digital edition of Popular Mechanics Magazine for just $13.99 a year. I'm Jacqueline Detweiler. Thanks for listening.